Well, we have a, a number of questions. I'm going to answer some very quickly and some slightly less quickly, but let's see how we go. Uh, the very first one is this, that given that Baal is the moon god, does this mean that Allah is a reincarnation of Baal because Islam's symbol is a crescent moon? Well, it's true that Islam does have quite a strong connection to the moon uh, because they rely on a lunar calendar. Uh, but Muslims would certainly reject the idea that they worship a moon god. Uh, they, they wouldn't see that sort of connection there. Uh, we as Christians, by God's word, know that all the other gods are not actually gods at all. And uh, there's only one true God, and that is the triune God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, who we know through the Bible. So in that sense, it doesn't really matter what the exact identity is of one God or another God, although it is good for us to know about other gods, um, so-called gods, so we can listen and learn from uh, other people's experiences to be able to then share with them about the one true and living God. You want a really good example of that? You turn to Acts chapter 17, where Jesus was in Athens, and uh, he was there and he said, I see you've got many gods here. Well, let me tell you about the, the one that's actually missing from your list here. And I'll tell you, he's the one who created the world and the one who redeemed the world through his death. So you can check that out. Question two. Since Jesus will reject some people who say, Lord, Lord, Matthew 7, then why will a person be saved simply by confessing Jesus is Lord? Romans 10. Oh, there's a... Why I love this question and questions like it is that it says, we've got this Bible, 66 books, it's the word of God, different human authors, one divine author. How do they work together? Let's try and get the mind of God in all of this. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there will be some people who will perform miracles in his name. And they'll say, you know, in Jesus' name I do this miracle and the miracle will happen. And then on the last day they'll stand before Jesus and say, hey, g'day. And Jesus will say, who are you? You see, they did all of this in Jesus' name. They were what you would call a Christian by action, but they didn't actually know Jesus. In Romans 10, however, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's still this, the saying that Jesus is Lord, but obviously what is happening here is it's more than just saying it. It's actually believing it and it's knowing Jesus. And so here, there's, it talks about confessing Jesus is Lord. And that it's about genuinely believing that God raised him from the dead, that they'll be saved. You see, the Bible makes it clear that faith without deeds is dead. That if, and that in, it's also the case that it's only by us believing in Jesus that we actually will know him. And so uh, this belief here that we read about in Romans 10 has got to be something that's more than just words. It's actually got to be a heart thing. It's got to be a relationship thing. And I think that's how the two connect to each other. Question three. What does it mean in Song of Songs when it says the watchmen made their rounds? Well, the watchmen are basically like security guards and they went around and they were doing their patrol. That's what the rounds are. And as we heard last week, the first time in Woman's Dream when she mentions the watchmen, they helped her and the second time they abused her. Question four. Is marriage a human right? Well, I went to the United Nations website this last week and according to Article 16, it says that men and women of full age without, limitation due to, without any limitation due to race, nationality or religion have a right to marry and to found a family. So, yes, it is a human right. Uh, is it a Christian right? Well, as Christians, we should not see marriage as something that we should expect to be given by God. 
It's not like it's a reward for being faithful to God or anything like that. He has plans for different people in different ways. And so it's not a right that we could uh, have an entitlement to in that sense. Uh, it may be that God has in plan for you to live your life, your whole life as a person who is single, or maybe to spend a large amount of your time as someone who is single. And, uh, and that will give you an opportunity to serve in special ways. And I'm going to talk a bit more about singleness a little bit later on in tonight's Bible talk. Question five, does the Bible talk about whether it's right to marry a non-Christian? Yes, it does. And stay tuned. We're going to look at that in tonight's passage. Question six, how do New Age feminists' values line up with Christian values? Well, there's a push amongst some feminists, and not just feminists, but but people today in general, to, to see that gender is just a social construct. Uh, in other words, they'd say that there's no inherent difference between a man or a woman, that they're basically all just the same. And society has said, well, there's this thing called maleness and there's this thing called femaleness and we've invented it so we can uninvent it, thank you very much, and just make it like we're all the same. Uh, these hardcore kind of I don't know how you would describe them, would, would say that there might be biological differences, but ultimately there is no real difference, and hence the push for a, uh, a real erasing of any difference between male and female. The Bible disagrees with this. The Bible says that God made humans either as male or female, and that men and women have different roles in the home and in the church. Uh, God makes it very clear that men and women are equal in value. Make no mistake. At the same time as having equality in value, he also says that we have different roles. We are equal but different. And this difference in gender is something to enjoy and to celebrate. Uh, now it is true that throughout society there's been a lack of recognition of the equality of women in society. And one of the good things of feminism is that it has identified this as a bad thing and has sought to address the inequality and so it is, it, it, we can be very thankful for uh, many aspects of the feminist movement. But I think that when a movement gets to the point where it says, well, there is no difference between male and female at all, that gender is just a construct of our society, then I think it has uh, gone too far and has departed from uh, God's word, which describes how it is that we're made and how he views us. Question seven. Uh, how should we discuss the topic of sex with non-Christian friends who are sexually active and unmarried. Well, the most important thing that a non-Christian can know is that God loves them and that they can be forgiven by God and have the hope of eternal life by trusting in Jesus. That is all that really, really matters. Uh, it doesn't ultimately matter what happens in a person's sex life. God is not going to say, you are my friend because of what happens in your bedroom. He wants to have us know him and trust him and be forgiven by him. Now, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, they are changed by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, then it's very clear about how it is that we should live. But it's not the number one thing. We're not saved by our, uh, how we um, act sexually. We're saved by whether or not we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, then that will turn around your entire life and every aspect of your life will begin to sit under the lordship of Christ. Question eight. When you say that a survivor should seek counselling, who are you referring to? 
Well, by survivor, I was referring to someone who has, in particular, survived their sexual abuse, and that was the context of last week's talk. Uh, at its extreme, I, I think I'm probably talking about someone who's been abused but has survived life, that they have not actually taken their life, because sadly that is an outcome that we do sometimes see for those who have been sexually abused. But most others have to go through life as survivors of sexual abuse because they've been harmed by this abuse and they need to live as people who are harmed and who are affected. And, and, and some will experience a form even of, of post-traumatic stress and that may mean that they may even relive their experiences many years later. Uh, if you have been through sexual abuse, as I said last week, uh, no matter how you choose to manage your own survival, I would recommend you do speak to somebody who can help you with, with counselling. I think it's, it's, it's that kind of thing that really needs to be dealt with. Don't do it alone. See a professional who can care for you and help you in your recovery. And if someone says to you that I've been abused and I'm trying to deal with it, then my, my advice to you is to say to them, have you seen a counsellor about that? And if they haven't, then maybe you can help them make that step. Question nine, how can I recover from the trauma of sexual abuse when I feel like I'm not good enough for God to heal me? Well, the answer is that nobody is good enough for God to show kindness to us. Nobody. God showed his grace to all Christians. And he did that while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we were distant from God. Our salvation has got nothing to do with how good we are and nor does our healing from trauma. If you're a victim of sexual abuse, uh, then you need to know that your recovery has got nothing to do with how good or holy or godly or whatever it is that you f how you, you feel. It, it, that's not going to change the way God looks at you. It may be that you feel that your purity or holiness has been stolen from you by your abuser. But even if you feel that, it doesn't change the way God looks at you. Again, please see a counsellor to deal with your trauma and spend time with a, with a Christian who can keep reminding you that you are loved by God and no matter what has happened in your past, God's grace, his forgiveness is for you and for all who seek him. Two to come. Question 10. If someone likes tattoos but not hymns, doesn't this disprove your theory about the modern attraction to ancient forms of worship? <laughs> well, last week I, I did say that people who have tattoos may be the same people who like singing old hymns. I was going for stereotypes, which are generally always fail. Uh, what I was trying to say is that the, the postmoderns, as opposed to moderns, uh, postmoderns will tend to have a connection to uh, want to have a connection to the past. And so we'll say, you know, I, I don't want to have this kind of Christianity's just been invented today sort of thing. I want to connect with the past. I want to connect with what Christians have been doing throughout the centuries. And, uh, and so it seems that uh, something I read recently, I think there's some truth to it. And that is that, that a lot of the modern fascination with tattoos for the postmoderns, and postmoderns, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it is, is a connection with a tribe to say this is something that defines me and I want, I want to be connected to that. And if that is the case, then that may well be that that person would be interested in connecting with the past through singing of hymns. I might be wrong, who knows, but it's a theory and I'd love your, love your feedback. Question 11, finally, why don't, we, why don't our services include a reading from the New Testament every week? 
Well, it's interesting you ask that. Uh, what we used to do was that if the sermon was on something from the Old Testament, then the reading at the start of church would be from the New Testament. So we'd always have something there. But I, I started this year with us reading a bit through the Psalms every week. We've done 11 of them now. And then we switch from something in the New Testament to the Old Testament and well, we've ended up having two Old Testament readings. So what I'm thinking to do from next week is to have just a little snippet from Mark's Gospel each week. And so over the weeks we can read through a small little story in the life of Jesus because we are Christians and we follow Christ and whilst all of the word of God is useful for us, uh, there is something good about, I think, having a, a Gospel reading. It's not something I came up with. Uh, the Anglicans, we Anglicans have been doing it for 500 years or more. Uh, but it is a good thing for us, I think, to do to, to read. And so we'll start doing that next week.